John chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 15 tonight. Jesus speaking to his apostles says in verse 12, John chapter 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I say that he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Last week we saw where the Lord introduced the apostles to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit was going to minister through them. Remember, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, theologians have devote, are divided down three experiences that we have with the Holy Spirit. And when I say we, I mean we as born-again believers. The first experience that we have with the Holy Spirit is the in experience. Now, these ex- the experiences that we have with the Holy Spirit and these titles that I use are actually Greek prepositions that describe what the Holy Spirit or how the Holy Spirit is ministering to us. So again, the first experience, or the first experience that I'm going to be, I'm not listing these in any particular order, but is the N. Now in the Greek preposition, it's E-N, but it means I-N for, for English. This is the Holy Spirit who dwells within us at the moment of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it says, In Him, in Christ, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So the Holy Spirit within you is the proof of your salvation until you're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can doubt those things, but I I see the Holy Spirit as He dwells inside of me, as He convicts me, the Holy Spirit as He guides me, the Holy Spirit as He ministers to me, and the Holy Spirit as He ministers through me. These are evidences of a changed life and that, well, that was unexistent, that did not exist in my life previously, but now today is a major factor of my Christian life. Secondly, there is the epi-experience of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit upon us. Now, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Again, these are descriptive terms to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, I am sealed at salvation, but also as I ask the Holy Spirit to come upon me for the purpose of ministry. You have somebody that, well, you know that they need the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're even a little intimidated, but God has placed it upon your heart to share the gospel. That would be a prayer. Holy Spirit, come upon me and enable me in the ministry to this person. For the Holy Spirit to come upon you, again, is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that I would not minister to this person according to my flesh, my abilities, or or even my desires, but Lord, it would be according to you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power or ability, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the epic experience of the Holy Spirit is powerful, and it is worldwide. Then there is the para experience of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit with us. The Holy Spirit with us, well, this is the ministry that we have been looking at. We started last week. This is the Holy Spirit that 
that ministers to those who are unsaved, but also ministers to the saved. This is the Holy Spirit that brings to remembrance the things that you have previously learned for a particular purpose or a particular reason at maybe even a particular time. These are things that you must have learned in the past, but the Holy Spirit will bring to light. This is the ministry to the Holy Spirit to all of the world. This is why the world is angry at us and doesn't want to hear it because, again, we're, we're shining light on, on these, through the Holy Spirit on these things that they want to keep driven very deep and in the dark. So last week we looked at the twofold purpose of the Holy Spirit under this para heading. We saw in verses 7 through 11, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that would be the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. So he's saying, he's going to go away, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And really what we know, there's the realization of the Holy Spirit as Christ leaves. When he says, he will come to you, the idea is, he's going to come not just to them, which we see in the Scriptures, it happened, but he's going to come to the church. And when He has come, when He has come to us, what is He going to do through us? He will convict the world, or He will convict unbelievers of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So it's to our advantage, it's to our help that Christ goes away because He is going to convict or He is going to bring to light or expose sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit through the church, achieves these purposes as I go out into the world, as I share the Word, as I'm bold in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, this Saturday after the men's breakfast, I know the door-to-door team is going to go out. And there, there may be verses that they have put together and, and all, but they never know who they're going to reach as you're out there. There's been people that I've gone with them and just sharing. There was this one particular guy. I just, it just felt like this guy's on the verge of receiving the Lord of salvation. And it will, would you like to pray with us? No, no, I don't want anything to do with it. And shuts the door and goes away. You know, you just meet just all different kinds of people at all different places, atheists and, and, and all. But the, thing, the, the, the common factor throughout them all, at least the majority of them, they'll at least have a discussion with you. Not all of them. Some of them don't even answer the door. Some of them just, I don't want it. But it's neat just to have that opportunity. And you never know where the Holy Spirit is going to lead. You don't know the questions they're going to ask. You have your Bible with you, but I can't tell you how many times as you put yourself in that position that you see the reality of the Holy Spirit as He brings to remembrance the things that are necessary for the purpose of convicting or shedding light on sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, because sin is what the Father has declared from the beginning of a human action that is in conflict with His divine nature. That they would understand, well, they already know that they're sinners. All the world does. And and so what the Holy Spirit is just doing is He's bringing it to light. Again, that's why they don't want to hear what you have to say. They spend so much time burying that sin to not recognize that sin, or at least admit that that sin is sin, but then there you show up, and you're that that avenue of the Holy Spirit that ministers to them, and now they've got to come and face that reality of their sinful nature. But also, beyond that, they're also going to come to the understanding, which they do know, Holy Spirit brings them to light, that there's going to be a judgment. 
All the world knows that they're going to have to give an account for the decisions they made and the things that they have done. Those are realities. Again, they like to keep those things buried deep because they don't want to deal with them, mostly because they can't deal with them apart from Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit shines light. So once again, they're revealed for the sinner that they are. They're revealed of, of, of having to receive judgment, of having to pay a price for the decisions they made again and the things that they've done. And the Holy Spirit will also convict the world or shine light on righteousness. Righteousness, the absolute rightness of God or the existence of God. All the world knows that there truly is a God. They may not want to admit it, but what are you doing when you show up at the door, you bump into somebody, whatever it might be? You're shining light on those realities. John chapter 3, when we studied that, we saw the problem is they like darkness rather than light because they don't want their evil deeds to be exposed. But the beauty of that is, well, you know, you had your evil deeds exposed. You were exposed for who you were. And that was the beginning of your salvation. That was the beginning of dealing with those sins of repenting and coming into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how are they going to know without a preacher? And Paul is just playing off of the theology that is being developed here that the church must go out for the purpose of convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, I don't go up to somebody and think, I've got to convict this person of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I just preach the gospel. And the gospel is the avenue that the Holy Spirit takes into that person's heart because it doesn't say, I convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It says that through our preaching, the Holy Spirit is going to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. See, so that relieves a lot of the burden from you. You don't have to be concerned about doing it right or whatever it is that we get concerned about. It's all you have to do is preach the Word. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Martin Lloyd-Jones. I just don't remember, but... How do we defend the gospel? The same way you defend a 3,000-pound gorilla. You just let it out of the cage. And it's the same thing with the gospel. You just speak it. You don't have to worry about defending it. You don't have to worry about justifying it. The Holy Spirit is going to take care of it. And so, verses 9 and 11, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. So, the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, and we see He's got attributes here, attributes that a person would have. He, he hears and He brings to remembrance and He convicts. The Holy Spirit has been, in some mindsets, reduced to a power called an it or the the, but He's the third head of the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, there's a harmony that if the Holy Spirit of God, there has to be a harmony that flows between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, biblically speaking, there's the attributes of the Father. He's past eternal. He existed forever. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's all-existence. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And He's holy. His unobtainable pureness. Jesus Christ, I'm going to go through these rather quickly. If you didn't get all the Scripture references, I can give them to you later. But Jesus, if He's God, He must, present, uh, must possess the attributes of God. And we are told in John chapter 1, verses 1-2, through 2, that Christ is past eternal. Matthew 28.18, He's omnipotent. Matthew 28.18-20, He's omnipresent. 
John 16.30, He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. In Acts 3.14, He's holy. And so that would make sense. And so it would only come to reason that then the Holy Spirit must possess those attributes as well. We are told in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, that the Holy Spirit is past eternal. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, He's omnipresent. In John 14, 26, He's omniscient. And Romans 1, 4, He is holy. And so all of those things, they must fit together through each member of the Holy Spirit if, in fact, each member of the Trinity is truly God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3-4, through we're told just flat out that the Holy Spirit is God. It says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so, previously, he said, again in verse 3, that he's lied to the Holy Spirit, and then Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as God. And so, God's got a plan here. And what we see here in, in, in John chapter 16 is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in, in the work of ministry as far as the witnessing that we give to the world. And so there must be the necessity of being open to His leading and having an understanding of what God is doing as we're sharing the Word. Because again, if I take God out of the equation, then it's all simply up to me. And all of the fears that we have of sharing the Word of God, well, they're justified. Because we've got plenty of limitations and the attributes that apply to God definitely do not apply to us. But if I understand that as I open my mouth, as I share the Word of God, that as I do these things in obedience to the leading of the Lord, then I've got the Holy Spirit that is going to dwell amongst us as, we're, we're minister, as I'm ministering to this person. As I'm doing these things, I know that I'm in the perfect will of God. I know that God has reason and purpose. And I may not be able to see the results at that point, but I have to have a confidence as I'm told these things in the Word of God. There's the reality of these things in the Word of God. The fear that you have, have that lend towards the truthfulness of this, of what you're unable to do. As you see things, as you're saying things that you didn't know that you knew, or maybe you thought you forgot, and you see these things coming to your lips and going forth into the person's heart, you realize that that's a work, that's a movement of the Holy Spirit. And really, you need to see those things, you need to recognize those things, because those things give us a confidence so that we would be bold in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you saw the apostles in the book of Acts as they go out. These men are bold, and these guys are excited. They were fools in the Gospel, but now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They've seen this great work of ministry. The things that Jesus said in the Gospel are coming to pass, and now they're moving forward. Again, I mentioned it, I believe, last week, but we're studying this in our Wednesday morning men's study. We're in the book of Acts, and we saw in Acts, Jesus told the apostles in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the apostles to go and wait. But as they waited, it was an active wait. We saw that they were opening the Scriptures and they were studying the Scriptures. And then, and as we go into Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter rises up and he gives his 3,000 soul sermon. And what's the basis of that sermon? Well, it's the Word of God. If you look at it, 
He's, he's preaching the Old Testament. He's preaching the Word of God as he had the Word of God, as he knew the Word of God. But now the Holy Spirit is in inhabiting this, and he's bringing it to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. People are being convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and they're coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then one day, him and John decide to go pray in the temple, and they pass by this lame man, and Peter just did what he saw Jesus do, and he told him to rise up, take up his bed, and walk. And the guy did. And there was an opportunity in that, not to receive the glory or not just to move on, but he saw this as an opportunity to preach the Word. And so once again, we see Old Testament Scriptures being used in the preaching of the Word that, that accumulate in the, in the glorification of Jesus Christ, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then 5,000 people get saved. Of course, they got arrested too, but that's a different study. But... You just see that the Lord is doing these things that He said that He was going to do. And and even more than that, you see the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You see at the beginning there was 12 apostles. There was disciples peppered throughout the Gospel. But we see in that upper room there's 120 people in just a couple of chapters, just a couple of days. All of a sudden the church grows to 8,000 people. And that's a supernatural work of God It's a supernatural work of God that He did back then. And again, it's a supernatural work of God that He can and will even do today. So first we saw the conviction of the world. Today we're going to be looking at the direction of the church. The direction that the Holy Spirit, or at least the direction that the Holy Spirit moves within the church. Verses 12 and 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come... He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. Christ here is giving some pretty profound teachings. Word of knowledge, prophecy, however you want to describe it, but just as prophecies in the Old Testament have a long and a short, I see in a long and a short to this. Something that's going to happen at that time frame, but also something that is going to happen even with throughout, in this particular case, throughout the church age. And so he's speaking to these, these men who are standing before them, and we must consider who these men are. These men, well, we see the necessity for the ministry that he's talking about because these men are the future authors of the New Testament. The divinely given Word of God would be given to them as it was given to those previous, in the Old Testament as well, for the purpose of us in the future. And so these are going to be the men who are writing the Gospels. A couple of them are going to write epistles. And it was going to be definitely necessary. Well, again, going back in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It would be too overwhelmed. Probably speaking of, um, of prophecies here. Verse 13, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. And why, what that means is there's not going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ and then the gospel of the Holy Spirit. The authority that they, they're speaking of here is the gospel that was given from the foundation of the world. And so the Holy Spirit's not going to give any new revelation. You know, you see this on TV kind of sometimes. You know, where the, supposedly the Holy Spirit comes upon this guy, and he gives some kind of new profound thing or whatever it might be. There's nothing new. You know, John Corson, I think he stole it from Warren Wiersbe or something like that. If it's new, or if it's new, it's not true. If it's not true, then it's new. Um, no, it's the Word of God that was delivered once. 
and for all. And so, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. So these men, as God had directed them at some point, you can think of Matthew, you can think of, uh, of Mark, and Mark more than likely sat down with Peter, it's believed, Luke, and the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, Apostle John, they, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to sit down and to take up their pen and to start writing. Now, some of them were quite a few years after the death of Christ. And let me ask you, do you remember in detail what we spoke about exactly last week? Do you remember some of the maybe personal illustrations that I gave? Maybe some of them you remember because you've heard them a million times. But, or, or how about a month ago? Did you remember what was going on in your life a month ago? Do you remember what was going on in your life a year ago? I can't. And, and, you know, and to think back and to write these things and understanding the magnitude and the necessity of getting these things right, I mean, are you going to depend upon your brain? No, they didn't have to. They depended upon the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was declaring these things to them. And these were the, they were just simply the conduit or the avenue that were committing these things to paper. He was bringing to remembrance these teachings and experiences with Jesus Christ that the Gospels could be composed properly and accurately so that they would be able to be presented as truth. We're told this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20-21, through 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture... Now keep in mind... Really, all the books of the Bible are prophecy. We so put prophecy in end times or future events, but prophecy is just simply speaking the will or the word of God. So in actuality, every author of the Bible is a prophet. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. They're not writing what they thought it should be. It says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, But holy men of God, these guys who Christ is speaking, there's going to be those of the future as well, spoke as they were moved or led or guided by the Holy Spirit. What are the words that the Holy Spirit directs these men to set apart by God to speak and write? Well, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He has made the worlds. And so the Holy Spirit has spoken these words of Jesus Christ to these men who authored these letters for the purpose of of our learning throughout the church age. And so that's why we can boldly say that this is truth. That's why we can look at the, the, the four Gospels and we can see a harmony amongst the Gospels. But also we see subtle differences, subtle differences that aren't mistakes, that aren't conflicts, but different points of view, different interpretations in how I saw something versus what you would have seen. And in actuality, when I see that, 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 tells, that speaks to me, of, of, again, the truth of the Gospel. Because if you and I got together and said, you know what, we've got to write something here and it's got to be the same, I'd probably have you write it and I'll just sign my name to it or we'll sit down there and write it together. But these things were written separately and there's a complete harmony. There's the obvious evidence that these were written at different times in different places, but they were all about the same thing, the same message brought to remembrance 
of the Holy Spirit designed to reach different people at different places but, and present Christ in different lights, but all for the purpose of glorifying God. Not a conflict among them all can be referred to very boldly and simply as truth. So this being the case, and again, you hear it from those who aren't of God, any tongue, any prophecy or teaching, they all must line up with the Word of God. We have before us the more sure Word of God. There's nothing new, there's nothing more, and there is nothing else that is needed. Everything that is necessary for righteousness, for salvation, has been delivered to us. If anything is spoken or taught contrary to the Word of God, it's not of someone that is influenced by the Holy Spirit, but somebody who is deceived by the devil. And so, what's the latest movie? I don't even remember. There was some movie or TV show about the life of Christ. I don't remember what it is. But open up your Bible. And you tell me if it's something you should recommend to somebody. Uh, The shack, there's a lot of conflict about that. Open up your Bible and you'll see that it's not biblical. And if it's not biblical, it, it may be all warm and fuzzy, but it's not of the Lord. And, and, and the people on TV, oh, open up your Bible. Now, some people on TV are good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But open up your Bible, and you tell me which ones are, are of the Lord and which ones sound all good, but in actuality, they're deceivers. Because usually they're leaving, leading people to themselves or leading people to their pocketbooks rather than leading people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It, I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's not easy. But as far as what the Lord has given us, He's given us everything necessary that we would stay the course. That we would not veer off to the right. That we would not veer off to the left. That we would not be deceived. But that we would keep ourselves rooted in the truth of God. John sixteen thirteen. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Now that term, it it can kind of be a little bit confusing. He's not saying that there's a variety of truths. We believe and we understand that we have the truth because it has met certain criteria, which I'll go over as we get into the study. But if you asked a Muslim, he would say that he has the truth in the Quran. If you asked the Hare Krishnas that they have the truth through the Bhagavad Gita, and, and, and you would the Book of Mormon, and so on and so forth. But then you would see a problem. As you would look at all of these documents, you would come to understand there's conflicts in all of them. Now, if this is truly the truth, then the Book of Mormon cannot be truth because the Book of Mormon conflicts the Bible or the Koran or so on and so forth. And so then you'd have a a quandary here. Well, what's right? What is it that I I, I follow? What is it that I build my life upon? And when you're faced with something similar, now it's easy. The easy answer is, you know, stay with the Bible, obviously, but just pray. Because we're just told here that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us into all truth. Young's literal translation of the Bible, it's, it's good if you study the Bible to have Young's literal translation because he took a word and literally translated it, literally translated it. might not be as, as easy just to read through, but at least you have a literal translation and you get a little bit understanding of what was being said. And in John 16, 13, John, uh, Young's literal translation, and when he may come, the spirit of truth, he will guide you to all the truth. He will guide you. He will make crystal clear what 
are God's truths. That there would be an understanding, that there would be no doubt that He would reveal everything that was false, everything that is untrue. The Holy Spirit will guide us to the one and the only truth. And again, it was necessary for these men that they would accurately and flawlessly join the Old Testament together with the New Testament. I've mentioned it so many times when we study the Old, I'm sorry, yeah, the Old Testament books that you can see Christ on every page. Well, if the New Testament is flawed, if there's not a harmony between them, then you're not going to see Christ in the Old Testament. But since these things are joined, the Old Testament and New Testament are joined together perfectly, we can see Christ on every page of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 All Scripture, New and Old Testament, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's only through the Scriptures that these things are going to happen. So because of this, the Word of God is then to be the anchor of every sermon that is preached in a church, a true church. The Word of God is to be the basis of every worship song that is sung. The Word of God is to be the foundation of every theological idea that is ever presented. So in all of these things, we should be able... Was that a good sermon that he prayed? Well, it was funny. It was, you know, he had a lot of insight. Yeah, but was it of the Word? That's why we encourage you to have a Bible on your lap. Or if you don't have one, we'll give one to you so that you know that what's being preached from the pulpit is of the Word of God. Worship song. And there's been worship songs that I've heard that have been flawed. Not from here. You guys are okay. Um, well, nobody's perfect. You guys have messed up too. But so have I. But if you ever question a worship song, just look up in the Word of God. You should be able to tell from the Word of God, is that of the Lord or not? Or if there's any theological idea that has been presented, again, look it up in the Word of God. The movies that come out, these television shows, are going to, re- especially this time of the year with Easter coming, you know, the true Christ, and was Jesus, did Jesus Christ ever exist? I saw something, I didn't read the article, because why should I read things that are false? But um, there's proof now that Christ may never have existed. You know, I, I see Christ as exists because I see Him in you guys. Um, but is all I have to do is open the Word of God. Because if this is true, then all that other stuff is false. And so you just check it against the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians 2.13, these things we also speak, not in words which man and wisdom speak, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. Well, that's how it works. The Holy Spirit glorifies. See, there's a progression here. The, no man comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. That's because Christ paid the price upon the cross. You must be washed clean by the blood of Christ in order to enter in to the presence of a holy God. But the way that man comes to Christ is through the Holy Spirit. You have, again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in perfect unity. And the basis for all of this, again, is the Word of God. And so it says here, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Well, He just basically gave us what that is. It's the Gospel. He will take of the Gospel and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of mine and declare it to you. 
And the only reason that he does that is so that you would declare it to somebody else. And so what we have in the Word of God is a historical element, we have a doctrinal element, and we have a prophetic element. Historic element, well, we're seeing that right now, what was being spoken of so long ago. I was in Israel, and it's just amazing. That was one of the things in Israel that just truly brings light upon the gospel as you're in various places. Wednesday after the men's study, brother came up to me and was asking me about Jesus' baptism and where did he come from to go to the Jordan and where did he go from there, where along the Jordan. And so he had a map in the back of his, and I said, and I pointed it out on there, he was at Jerusalem. He walked about 30 miles, 20 miles, whatever it was, due east, and this is the area that they believed that he was baptized. And then he took a three-day journey up to, uh, up to the Sea of Galilee. There's where he called, well, before that he went to the wilderness, but the wilderness is in between Jerusalem and where he was baptized. So it would just make sense. From there, he went up to the Sea of Galilee, and that's where he called Peter, James, and John, amongst others. And you can start mapping these things out and see historically and see how they work and see how they fit together. And it's just an amazing thing. You're able to stand on the very stones that Jesus Christ stood upon. In the peritorium where he was being examined by the Romans, you're able to walk on those stones that were there during the time. I stood on a stone. I don't know if he stood on that exact stone that I stood upon. I can't give testimony to that. But I was in very close proximity. And I stepped on most stones that were in there. So I think I may have gotten them all. And so there's a lot of it that has been rebuilt. And I mean, the majority of it has been rebuilt. There's very little that was there uh, during Christ's time. Although the um, wailing wall of the Temple Mount, that was there. That's still there. And the foundation of it is, is still there. And again, it's just an amazing thing. Going to that place in the Jordan River. It's kind of interesting. I mentioned it before. They have a little lean-to there. It's a traditional place where Christ is baptized. You wouldn't want to be baptized there. It was a dirty river. I'm sure during the time it was probably expanded when he was. But nonetheless, there's a lean-to, and I looked up, and there's doves, white doves that are sitting up there. I don't know if they just let a bunch of white doves you know, loose there for effect or if they're indigenous to the area. But again, it's just an, it's just an amazing experience. There's one up north. Abraham's gate, and this was the gates where Abraham would sit at in order to render decisions or whatever, and they have, it's been recently discovered within the last couple of years, and they have the the place where the elders would sit, and they had this ornate gate that is kind of built into the side of a hill kind of a thing there, and just to think that something like that, that would be close to 3,000, whatever it is, years old, no, closer to 5,000 years old. And just to see these things, it's just, it's just an amazing thing. And the, and the tribe of Dan, the place where they sacrificed, they were one of the first tribes that turned to false gods. They still have the altar there, at least the foundation of the altar, the place where they sacrificed to false gods. They found, in their excavations there, they found little, uh, little idols that were there, little, little um, calves that they had fashioned there. And again, these things that we see in the Scripture, we see played out by... Well, we see this historical element to it. Why? Because it just lends towards the truthfulness of all that we see. The doctrinal element, verse 14, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine, and He will declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is going to take that gospel. He's been doing that. He's been declaring it for 2,000 years. 2,000 years, and the gospel hasn't changed, and it continues to save souls. 
There's the reality of these things that have been told here, and we need to see these things, and you need to embrace these things. Because at least for me, these things lend towards the truthfulness of what is being spoken of here. <clears throat> excuse, excuse me, spoken of here. And then the prophetic element, the last part of verse 13, or at least verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The Lord, the Lord speaking of the church age to come, and we know even the things that he has spoken of even to the end of the ages. The Apostle John, the one who penned what we're reading now, is the same Apostle that penned the book of Revelation. And so all of these things that Christ said was going to happen, these things happened. They didn't happen by man's ability, but they happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you see the reality of those things, understand the same Spirit that moved in those guys back then is the same Spirit who works in and through you today. And so... I'll never know if I'm inactive, but if I move forward in the knowledge of the Lord and the power of the Spirit, I'm going to be able to see and experience a lot of the same things that they experienced back then. Father, once again, we just thank You, Lord, that You have given us this Word that continues, Lord, to deliver. It delivers souls from the bondage of the world and the flesh and the devil. It delivers, Lord, believers from the bondage of inactivity and that, Father, we're able to move forward in Your power and in Your ability. And so, Father, I pray that we would come to understand and realize the magnitude of what is being said here. Father, the only thing that holds us back is our flesh, but I pray, Father, that Your Spirit would overcome our flesh, and Father, You'd be glorified through our humble actions. I pray, Father, just as truly as the apostles, while they had, or the authors of the Bible anyway, that they had these things brought to their remembrance, Father, you said that you'll bring them to our remembrance also. And so, Father, I pray that we would be that preacher that is so necessary in the giving of your gospel. So, Father, we just lift up to you just ourselves and just pray, Father, that you would continue to refine us, continue to mature us, and continue to use us, that you'd be glorified, Father, through our humble lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?